Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And let us go into the breach once more, dear brothers and sisters, on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. And as always, we ask you to please download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just The Frontline with Joe and Joe. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can find us at The Frontline TV or The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube and many other places. So wherever you see us on social media, please like, subscribe, and share. Help us out. Do all that fun stuff. And most importantly, keep us in your prayers. Today, we're welcoming back to the show a friend of the show, Kristen Van Uden, and we're going to be talking about a reprint of a book that was uh, pre- uh, originally published in 1981 by Father Vincent Maselli, The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior. Now, this is out by Sophia Institute Press, and as always, we ask you if you like the content, as you're about to find out a little bit more about it, buy the book at Sophia Institute Press. Let's support our authors. Let's support our publishers. Now, many of you who listen to The Frontline with Joe and Joe know who Kristen is. Having said that, uh, Kristen Van Uden serves as an author spokesperson at Sophia Institute. She received her MA in History from the College of William & Mary and her BA in History and Russian from St. Anselm College. She studies the persecution of Catholics under communist regime. She's been featured on a wide range of media platforms, including Coast to Coast AM, The Federalist, and the Catholic Faith Network. Kristen, recently you said you uh, you, had, you started your own podcast, right? Um, well, first of all, welcome back to the show. Welcome Thank back you. to the front line. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about that. What do you got going on as far as your new new podcast is concerned? That's right. So I recently took over as editor of Catholic Exchange, which is an apostolate owned by Sophia Institute that we've had for about 10 years. It was founded about 30, 20, 20, 30 years ago now. So it's a daily uh, online publication focusing on matters of prayer and spirituality. So we don't really touch church politics or any of that, but we're really focused on honing in on how to grow your own spiritual life. And we have a podcast. So right. I just recorded my first episode. They're going to be about 20 to 30 minutes uh, each episode and uh, in matters of book reviews, church history, other topics in the spiritual life, uh, Catholics living in the world today. So a whole slew of issues and topics if anyone has any guest suggestions please do let me know but all right your I first learned, guest, I learned, <laughs> your first guest, guest suggestion you, you gotta have joe and joe on your yeah exactly you gotta i gotta turn the tables have turned and i learned from the best by being oh, on your gosh, podcast please. and others so <laughs> I, I i i hope not kristen we're, we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants but catholic exchange um and yes kristen has a new podcast we encourage everyone to listen to what kristen has said kristen it's the one-two punch if you want to fight all the spiritual um, cultural, political battles out there, uh, social battles, okay? Well, you got to get your internal house in order. So obviously we have to have our spiritual
spiritual life, you know, hitting on all cylinders, staying close to Christ, staying close to the sacraments. So we can't do one without the other. Okay. You, you, you know what I mean? If you want to be in the culture war, well, you got to get the spiritual life on track if it's not already. So we encourage everyone to go and listen to Kristen's podcast. And I'm going to tell you what, we're going to follow through on this on our social media show. Joe and I definitely have to have a show with you about your study of persecution of Catholics under communist regimes. People need to know about that. Notice because obviously the culture, which we know is anti-Catholic, we know that. Okay. That's not a persecution complex. We just know it. We want to, we want to back that up and we're going to have you on the social media show on YouTube so that we could talk a little bit more about just how much Catholics have suffered uh, just in the last hundred years, just mm -hmm. since that glorious revolution, they call the October revolution in the Soviet union and really hash that out and expose all of that. So we're definitely, definitely going to, going to make that happen soon, Kristen, if you're game. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. In the meantime, Joe Resinello, I am going to hand it over to you, and we're going to talk about the Antichrist. Uh, let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, but for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O oh, Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Holy Spirit, amen. Kristen, I, I guess like when people hear like the Antichrist, it's almost like the Easter Bunny to some people. I mean, they just don't even think it's real. But clearly it is. It's it's something that's taught um, in the church. Uh, what does the church teach about this subject, you know, and uh, basically who is the Antichrist? the Antichrist? Is it Barack Obama? <laughs> Well, anyone currently alive could <laughs> just throw that out there <laughs> because there are the Antichrist is the ape of Christ, as he is known, the Simia Christi. He will pretend to be Christ, pr pretty much forward himself as the savior and seek to even be worshipped as Christ himself, who comes in the end times and will bring about the end of the world. So there's a series of events that will happen towards the end of the world, including the great apostasy, the great persecution of the true faithful, true Catholics coming to the Antichrist. And then finally, we know who wins in the end, obviously, Jesus kills the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth, we read in the book of the Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. So anyone who has not been yet killed by Christ from the breath from his mouth could potentially be the Antichrist, but this book lays out for us certain characteristics that he will possess, certain movements that have been doing his work to pave the road for him, and types or forerunners of the Antichrist that we find throughout church history who have set the stage, so to speak, for his arrival, but have not yet been the man himself. Did you read out of curiosity, the reason why I bring up that joke about uh, Barack Obama <laughs> is, did you ever read uh, Michael O'Brien, Father Elijah? No, I have that actually, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> read it because okay. it is amazing. It's about the Antichrist. And mm -hmm. the reason why I say I brought up Obama is it, it came out in and around that time. And I, it's like, it was like Barack Obama, like, like in the terms of like, you know, people think like the, I'm not saying Barack Obama is the devil or the Antichrist, but my point is in the book, you know, people think like the devil has horns, you know, and it's walking around with a tail. It's the exact opposite. And he paints the picture of the Antichrist as this sophisticated guy. Everyone loves him. He's a globalist. He's cultured. He speaks perfectly. He knows art. He knows everything. 
and he's the Antichrist, and everyone's fooled. And the book is phenomenal. Um, I highly recommend it. I mean, to our listeners, obviously, we want you to read this book, uh, but also that one, definitely. But that's why I brought that up, because yeah. like as I was reading it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Barack Obama, like in the book. <laughs> Joe, 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 don't get, Joe, don't get us in trouble. Please. I know, I know. They're going to come for us on that that's one. That's it. They're going to come for us. You called Obama. No, we did not. Disclaimer. We did not call Barack Obama the Antichrist. But it is funny, like you said, I always, you know, it's always uh, you wonder about the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is real. The Antichrist is going to be in the world, if not now, at some point in the future, okay? And Christ is going to slay him. Um, but you always think in your mind, do people really think like, like the Antichrist is going to go around the world? I'm the Antichrist. I'm the Antichrist. I mean, no! No, the point is he's going to fool you. That's his power, okay? Um, he's going to fool you. You're going to think he's going to speak like he's doing things wonderfully, all right? In the meantime, we all know what he's about. Kristen Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. The book is by Father Vincent Minnelli, uh, first printed in 1981, reprinted now by Sophia, The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior. What is the relationship, Kristen, between Rome and the Antichrist? How, do the, how does Rome play into this? So there are a few prophecies where Rome is obviously very central. First is that there is going to be a retainer that will keep the Antichrist at bay and keep the devil at bay that will stop him from being able to wield power fully over the earth that many church fathers have identified as the Roman Empire. So the fall of the Roman Empire is a sign that the Antichrist is coming. And that's been interpreted in many ways. So the Holy Roman Empire, for example, that fell after the conclusion of World War One could have been considered to have, have fulfilled that. And then also um, one can make the argument that the, the church has adopted that role of Roman Empire. What we're also told, uh, Our Lady of La Salette, for example, she appeared in France in the mid-19th century, and she told the visionaries that Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. So, <laughs> did not mince words, could not be more clear. And what that also lines up with is this spirit of deception and of seduction that characterizes the Antichrist. Like you said, he will not come and declare that he is a caricatured villain. He will not be some sort of clearly evil walking around wearing satanic regalia. He will rather use tactics of delusion and tricks in order to lead people astray. And so we know that the final persecution of the church will be both an outward explicit oppression of the church, but also an internal subversion. So the church will be infiltrated by these agents of Antichrist, will be, the persecution shall be from within. So that is why oh, you have this interplay too between the Antichrist and the false prophet discussed here in the book, because the Antichrist will purport to be the true religion and will pretend to be true Catholicism because he wants to be Christ in all things. So he's not going to come as an obvious enemy of Christ. He's going to come as one who looks maybe 99% correct, except for the one fact that he lacks the true faith and he is seeking himself to be worshiped rather than to turn people towards Christ. Yeah. Um, and this, one of the challenges, uh, so Father Michelli in this book gives a good deal of attention to Cardinal Newman and his writings about the Antichrist. And Cardinal Newman speaks of this subversive persecution and how it was coming. And he saw the, the signs of it even within his times. But 
he says that he would rather have an outward persecution like in the days of the martyrs because it's a lot more obvious what you have to do in that case it's just okay don't apostatize don't worship the pagan gods that it's not easy but it's simple whereas today you give a little here on a matter of doctrine give a little there on faith and morals and by the time you know it you've woken up and completely apostatized and it amounts to a full rejection of christ so um in this chapter on Newman here on page 172, I'll just quote from Father Michelli. Newman concludes his comments on the last persecution, the persecution of the Antichrist thus. It may not be a persecution of blood and death, but of craft and subtility, not of miracles, but of natural wonders and marvels of human skill, human acquirements in the hands of the devil. Satan may adopt the more alarming weapons of deceit. He may seduce us in little things, move the church, not all at once, but little by little from her true position. I, I, and and that's what and that's what we have to guard against. That's what we have to fight against. You you said it right. Don't give an inch. You can't change doctrine. Okay, mm -hmm. you can't. That's why it bothers me. Okay, and I am not saying that 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 you know this is the state of the church now. But there are a lot of men in the church, uh, women too. I mean, Joe Biden just just recently put a medal around the neck of a so-called nun who thinks abortion abortion is okay in certain circumstances. Okay, sounds reasonable enough, right? Well, in certain circumstances, I'm sure a woman has a right to choose to have an abortion. This is a nun. Biden's putting a medal on her. And yet, back in the day, she would have been called to the carpet. Mm -hmm. Same with Father James Martin. Joe and I are very open about Father James Martin. We don't beat him up, but he should be called to the carpet in Rome. Stop. You know, but we allow it to happen, and it does give you the impression that they're that the church has been infiltrated. Because why are they pushing these things that we know are false? Okay. These are not things that were questioned at at, at, at Vatican II or Vatican I or Trent or Florence or any council of the church going back two thousand years. They were accepted. Okay. Now all of a sudden it does seem that we have a lot of people in the church that are saying things that are just straight up not true. And it does give you it makes me fear a little bit that we might be in these times um, because we have these, uh, what I, 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 you couldn't even call them minor apostasies. These are major uh, major breaks from, from church teaching. And the church, unfortunately, the leadership of the church is not doing anything about it in a, in, in a meaningful way and shutting them down. Do, do you agree, Kristen? Yes, definitely. It's very scary to see. And the whole, uh, the tyranny of subjectivism, that is a hallmark of the French Revolution, which Father Michelli identifies as one of these harbingers of the Antichrist, has infected the church so that the, these lies that are told to us that doctrine can evolve into its opposite, even, <laughs> are just simply not true and are, are offensive to pious ears, as they say. And uh, when you when you see these these major acts of apostasy at the top, it does make you question the the validity of their moral authority over the church anymore. And the the doctrine cannot change. The, this idea of the hum, hermeneutic of continuity is just kind of a gaslighting lie. <laughs> doctrine can what was once condemned is now is now celebrated, and vice versa. So we definitely see this at work. What that means for the authority structure is kind of up in the air, I suppose, but we can't blind ourselves to the fact that church leaders from since the Second Vatican Council have been spouting these lies and have been confusing the faithful and mixing truth with error so that we are left confused and unsure of where to go to, to hear the truth. 
Right. Kristen Van Uden joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, the book written by Father Maselli, Father Vincent Maselli, The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior, out at Sophia Institute Press. Joe Resinello. Kristen, we talk to a lot of people, like with the show and, and you know, for quite some time. And Gerald Murray recently wrote a book. I, I want to talk about him because I, I have a great deal of respect for him. I think he is a brilliant man. And as a priest, I think he's an, an excellent one. Um, for those who may not know, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of New York, um, located in New York City. And I said this to him, and I, and I want to expand on it because I think it'll relate to the topic at hand. I said, if you're praying and going to confession and receiving the Eucharist in a state of grace, you will not be fooled by these lies. You won't. It doesn't matter. You see, the world thinks just because you're smart, you're always going to know what's right. That's not true. Some of the biggest errors ever made were made by brilliant people. Um, as Catholics, if we're praying every day, we're going to confession, we're receiving the Eucharist in the state of grace. This is my opinion, and there might be some dogma to it. I'm not, you know, I didn't go to the Gregorian. I went to the Harvard. I went to Harvard on the Hudson, Kristen, but sometimes that could be even better. Um I don't think you'll be fooled. I think you'll have eyes to see. The problem is we're not doing it. And what I posed to Father Murray was this. With regard to the errors that have gone on in the church, how could these, are these people praying? Are they going to confession? I mean, I'm not formally taught, meaning I didn't go to some fancy divinity school. I'm fairly well read. I, I do practice my faith with regard to going to confession. I received the Eucharist frequently, but I'm not falling for it. And I think that's the defense. And I think the reason why the spirit of the world has entered the church, as well as the societies, we're not doing that. And that's how you're fooled. Please elaborate on that, because I think that's the, it, the simple answer. Absolutely. The ability to see the truth is a grace that is given to us. And as you pointed out, you have to be smart to be a heretic. You can't blunder your way into heresy. I mean, some people do, but Martin Luther, was he, he used craft and subtility, as Cardinal Newman puts it. He used the sophistry and was able to quote scripture and had all this great deal of knowledge and theology. And that is the pride that he had was what made him fall into error. So knowledge without grace means nothing and can in fact be very dangerous. So yes, the I think St. Alphonsus is the one who said that everyone who is damned is damned on account of their not praying. And all the saints were prayed, were, were uh, always praying. And if they hadn't prayed, they would have potentially lost their salvation. So it should be the bedrock. It is the only way to completely transform our intellects and be asking the Holy Spirit for discernment because we can't think our way through this alone. If we do, then we're going to be acting purely on the natural level. And this requires supernatural grace to be able to both understand and to overcome. So that's that's completely right. It requires a lot of humility. And like you said, it's not about level of knowledge. You don't have to be a doctor of the church to be able to discern right from wrong. We're all born with a conscience. We all just have this inherent understanding of what rings true to us when we hear something that is claiming to be a doctrine, a changed doctrine, and we're like, no, that, that's not that's not what the church has always taught. So the it's it's definitely 
it's definitely true what you say that the humility in prayer is the only way to basically immunize yourself against these coming deceptions because they're only going to get more and more difficult. And I think one thing that keeps people away from this is number one, lying to themselves. So you know that sin darkens the intellect. So if you are falling into sin constantly and making excuses for sin, it actually removes your logical capabilities. So someone in a state of grace can actually think more clearly than someone who's constantly sinning, especially in terms of faith and morals. Maybe they have some sort of technical knowledge that they can still operate with, but your conscience, the more you sin, the less your conscience speaks to you and the less you're able to see theological truths. It's just an effect of sin on the soul. So those who make excuses for sin and say, oh, it's not so bad. I'll just play Russian roulette with my soul and hope I can make it to confession before the end of my life. They will be living in that mindset. And so they will be less receptive to the truth because they're so attached to their sin. And then the second issue is what's known as human respect. So the respect, the valuing of the respect and esteem of man over the approbation of God. And this leaves a lot of people in this position where they are willing to make compromises with the world because they can't imagine losing all their friends, losing potentially family, job, esteem, social standing, everything that makes this world what it is. And so we're called to have this degree of detachment, really complete detachment from the world and just make radical leaps of trust in God that prize the truth above all else, all else and he will provide for us. And that's where a lot of people get caught because in today's world with, um, with the church in the past 70 years, there have been pockets of the church, like the Father James Martins, that allow you to claim to be Catholic while not having to live up to any of the precepts of the church. So you see people like Biden and Nancy Pelosi claiming to be good Catholics. They're, they're deluding themselves, but it's, it's that deception where people who value their, their position with them or the position in the world will just kind of let, let them slide, not excommunicate them, not refuse them communion, et cetera. And that is so dangerous to the faith because it, it is giving scandal to those who see that there's something wrong there and see that they're not living as true Catholics, but are too afraid to speak up because there's too much to lose in this world, or they're just simply confused. So between the two of those things, the darkening of the intellect and the fear of losing friends and approbation, the fear of being hated, basically. Many people can lose that grace to see the truth, and then it's very hard to wake them up after that. Yeah, I know, and that, that, and that's the problem. See, that's, that's a good one-two punch uh, from the two of you, the, the, the need for the sacraments to uh, enable us, by God's grace, to open our eyes and see these people, whether it's individual people or the Antichrist himself, to see them coming from a mile away. And then the other, obviously, staying close to the sacraments so that our intellect is not darkened and our, our, our will is strengthened to be able to resist sin, okay? We're all sinners. Nobody, nobody like we always say on the show, and, and we should always say it, nobody here is walking on water, okay? We're not saints yet, um, but, uh, but we're trying. We recognize our sins. We stay close to, you know, it, it helps us to be able to resist these things that are going to weaken us in this battle. Now, Kristen Van Uden, let me ask you a question. Um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 409, the, all, the entirety of man's history 
is a history of dour combat between man and the forces of evil. That's how it starts. It goes on from there. But I just want to focus on history for a second, okay? Mm -hmm. The battle has been going on since the garden, but the battle manifests itself both on, in the spiritual realm, mostly the spiritual, the attacks on our soul, the temptations that the devil throws at us, the, all these different things. But then there's actual battles. There's actual events in history where you see both Satan and either spirit of Antichrist or laying the groundwork for Antichrist uh, right in your face, right at work. You mentioned the French Revolution. Talk about some moments in history where the battle was still, we, we could look at it and say, that is the laying the groundwork for the, the, the coming of the Antichrist in real historical terms. Sure. So there have been many major forerunners of the Antichrist in terms of both leaders, individuals, and movements. One example would be Nero. So to be Catholic is to be eschatological, and even the early Christians thought that they were living in the end times, that within their lifetimes, Christ would come again. And so they were constantly looking for these candidates for Antichrist. Nero obviously was an example of explicit persecution of the church, very in the open absolute oppression, um, no zero tolerance policy for the truth of Christianity. And not only was that, you know, obvious <laughs> that he was antichrist in the, in the most basic sense being against Christ, but also he committed suicide. And at the time of his death, there were theories that Nero had faked his death so that he would perhaps be held in retainer and then fake a resurrection to claim to be the Christ. And that that would mean he was the Antichrist himself, the man himself. But years went by and that did not happen. And so we can safely say he was not the Antichrist, but he certainly was doing his work and serving his agenda and is a type or a forerunner. Another obvious example is the Protestant Reformation, the attack on dogma and doctrine and the peeling away of thousands and now millions of souls from the truth. The pollution of truth with error, we're told if there's even one drop of poison introduced to truth that it corrupts the entire thing and so you see um it's just very it's, it's horrific to see people who are who are living good lives and working and believing that they now the fruits of protestantism are in union with jesus and because of the evil and the heresy introduced at the reformation they they are not members of the church and so this fracture that occurred um, attacks the unity of the church and and uh, sends souls to hell. Uh, also, the Great Schism can be con considered another one of these moments. So any time where a great attack on the not only the truth, whole and inviolate, but on the unity of believers can be considered the work of the work of Antichrist. Um, moving forward, Father Michelli identifies several movements and errors in his 20th century alone that he thinks are major harbingers of the Antichrist that before ever, ever before, uh, we're all coalescing at this time. So um, before that, he, he ties these all to their origins in the French Revolution, as we've examined, and then also in the development of Freemasonry from that point forward, they Freemasons have been around for a while, but from the from the 18th century onward, the, the work of Freemasons to subvert the church, these are all tied together, and they culminate with the heresy of modernism, which St. Pius X declared to be the synthesis of all heresies. So modernism is predicated on these principles of imminence and the religious sense. So it's subjectivist, it decentralizes God. We know that 
God has rights, men has have duties, but modernism instead prejudices the religious experience of the individual. And this is very relativistic. You'll hear things like, oh, if this feeds your faith, go ahead and do it, but maybe not someone else. And its central error is what's called religious indifferentism. So the idea that all religions are a path to sanctity. You can perhaps get to heaven in each of them. Nobody has the full revelation of truth, which is a direct contradiction of big R revelation. It's a denial. It's a rejection of what Christ said, is that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And essentially, this harkens back to the, the earlier heresy of Gnosticism, which believed that there was some primordial truth that superseded all religions and that each of us were just reaching up and grasping parts of it and only had partial truths. No, that's not what the church teaches. The church teaches that it is the deposit of faith. Chris Van Uden, I want to pick that up on the other side of the break. That's a fit. fascinating. Right. I want our audience to hear it. So we are talking about Father Vincent Maselli's book. Came out in 1981, reprinted now by Sophia Institute Press, The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior. Kristen Van Uden from Sophia is joining us to discuss this fascinating topic, topic on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. So Joe and I have another great segment with Kristen Van Uden. We're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are in the breach. You are definitely in the breach if you are discussing the Antichrist, and that was the topic of Father Vincent Maselli's book in 1981, The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior, reprinted and republished by Sophia Institute Press. We're joined by our friend Kristen Van Uden to discuss this. Now, Kristen, you ended the segment. You were giving us examples in history of uh, Antichrist activity, um, laying the groundwork for the Antichrist, kind of like, you know, infiltration of the church. Now, we stopped, we, we ended with Freemasonry, so please continue from there. Sure. So, continuing on modernism, the synthesis of all heresies, Father Michelli points out how modernism has, in fact, infected the church as well. And we see this, unfortunately, even in the documents of the Second Vatican Council and of the fruits of that council, where uh, all religions are given sort of this equal voice in the Vatican. We have these unfortunate incidences of the Pachamama, as we've seen with Pope Francis, and then earlier the Assisi meeting of 1988, where the Buddha was placed by Pope John Paul II onto the tabernacle. So this, this fracturing of revelation as whole and inviolate and the introduction of other religions, which were previously taught to be false religions as potential vectors of grace and salvation, has infected even the highest levels of the church. So Father Michelli spares no words discussing how that is definitely the work of the Antichrist at hand. He goes on to discuss the two largest movements of the 20th century that are responsible for the slaughter of millions as forerunners of the Antichrist as well, so fascism and communism. Um, one of the first signs, obviously, other than the fruits of the death of millions, is the purported atheism or occultism of each of these regimes. So the Nazi regime, for example, is has this very odd and interesting occultist vibe to it, essentially, where um, Tool, for example, he was, he was an occultist himself, and there was this racial 
uh, racial purity tied to a supernatural truth with with these ideas of drawing from old Nordic myths and um, occultist thinkers themselves that make it very obvious that this is not from God and that this is doing the work against God. Uh, not only um, on page 193, Father Michelli discusses that the... Um, that Hitler was essentially trying to establish the new Roman Empire and that just smacks of the Antichrist, that someone who is going to pretend to be the true Roman Empire and a, a Roman Empire devoid of the Catholic Church and devoid of, of Christianity and purely vitalist, occultist, and the Nietzschean idea of the Ubermensch, which is purely man-centric. It's full of pride. It is very this-world-based. The the person who is seen to be perfect in his body and intellect, but who completely rejects God. And Nietzsche himself wrote a book called The Antichrist. So the, this movement is heavily influenced and, and does the work of Satan and paves the road for the Antichrist. Playing off of fascism is communism, of course. So one sign that these two ideologies are essentially of the same fabric is the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact of um, before the war, where Hitler and Stalin basically agreed to cut up Europe for, for each other. You take this territory, I'll take that one. Uh, these totalitarian, they, they differ on many, obviously many matters, but the fact that they are both atheistic, both against the church, and both claim to be able to establish utopia here on earth are clear signs that they're from Satan and from the Antichrist. Communism purported to be able to establish the workers' paradise, and you'll notice in each of these, it's always just worldly pleasures promised to the adherents. It's never about the next world. And even within communism, which is seen as, which is more materialistic, clearly atheistic, rejects the supernatural as the opiate of the masses, uh, there were still movements such as the Russian Cosmist movement, which tried to it had this crazy idea of resurrecting all of the dead who had ever lived, and then there would be no room for them on Earth, so they would be sent to space, as really the same principle of the Tower of Babel is trying to harness science and the power of man at the expense of the power of God and in ignorance and rejection of God's authority on Earth. So, obviously, by their fruits you shall know them, and each of these movements resulted in complete catastrophe and cannot be successful because as we know, utopia cannot exist on earth, only in heaven. So they're not only evil from the beginning, but they're also doomed to fail even in any of their uh, trials and, and attempts at this. Yeah. And then finally, he talks about the sexual revolution. So he makes the now well-established connection between the sinful doctrine of sexual liberation and then its fruits, the proliferation of birth control, destruction of the family, epidemic of infanticide and as we call it today have have served the moloch state right this is this is clear signs that the culture has turned in favor it, of antichrist isn't that what it is no is that like 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 when you hear stories about you mentioned the roman empire when you hear stories about how the 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 the, the parents used to take the babies and, and bring them to the and bring them to moloch or 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 Baal, right? And the and the the hands are out like this on the statue, and the statue is made of some sort of iron or steel, and it's a heated furnace. The belly's a furnace. And they used to kill their children yes, and offer yeah. them up for their own benefit. 
oh, this is how we'll prosper, honey. In other words, we're going to have to kill our firstborn and sacrifice our firstborn to Moloch, but we're going to be rich and we're going to have land and blah, blah, blah. They do the same damn thing now. Mm -hmm. This is not a foreign concept to the modern mind. Just because mm -hmm. you say it happened thousands of years ago, but your pagan ritual sacrifice, okay? You do the same thing now. You, you're a couple in Bergen County and you pop down the Planned Parenthood because you're not ready for another kid and you kill your kid in an abortion. You're doing the same damn thing. You're sacrificing your kid to, basically to Antichrist. Now, you might not think of it that way, but you're making yourself into a god because you're saying you can control whether or not your child lives or dies based on how it's going to benefit you. And you want to want me to back that up? Something Joe and I covered on the show. That poor soul, Michelle Williams, goes up and receives an award. I forgot if it was Golden Globe or one of the awards, okay? And she's got her false god in her hand as she wins her award, okay? And she basically makes a pagan confession to the audience of rich, super-duper elites out there, okay, about how she wouldn't have been where she was. She wouldn't have made it that far and won her false god if it weren't for a woman's right to choose Okay, this is paganism, and it's also antichrist. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? It's funny. I mean, just an aside, as you were going through that litany of history, I, what I was thinking, I'm a, you know, a little bit, of, I'm a lot older than you, actually, but I was thinking of uh, the song by the Stones, Sympathy for the Devil. Like, he goes through, uh, you, you may know it, um, it's a pretty famous song, but he goes through, like, history. All of history, yeah. And he talks about the devil, you know, like, moving in ways that you may not see him. And that's the way the devil rolls. Um, outside of that, how is Our Lady play into the end times i mean i always look at her as she's the atomic bomb and when 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 things get really hairy uh mary comes into the picture um she did that in mexico she's done that um at fatima um i personally think my mother always says now she says we need a miracle and if anyone is that person it's mary um, because frankly, I don't think we can fix the mess that we're in right now in America. I don't think there's a man or woman alive that can fix it. Talk about her role in the end times. Yeah, this is actually how Father Michelli ends the book, is on a note of hope, Mary against the Antichrist. And it's through her humility that not only Satan hates her because of what he lacks, but also the Antichrist hates her because she, through her humility, has achieved what he cannot through his pride. She has appeared various times throughout history to give us warning about the apocalypse. And the number one thing we could do is to pray the rosary, as she asked for at Fatima, specifically in 1917 for these specific times as something that's essential. And the main takeaway from this part of the book is that we know that she is the woman who crushes the head of the snake. So this is something that we see in the book of Revelation. And we know that she will win in the end through her son. And she is the one to turn to because she is the one who demons flee from. Exorcists will tell you this all the time. They have, they have no, demons have no power against her. So it's great to pray to ask the intercession of all the saints, especially those like St. Athanasius or Pius X who have gone through very similar periods of, of, of apostasy throughout the church, but she has 10 million times more power at the foot of God than they do. And so she, um, and this imagery of the, the woman and child defeating the snake is something we should always be having at the forefront of our mind and taking confidence in. Isn't it always the case that God uses those forgotten about 
to, to defeat the biggest evils. It's always the case. Like, like uh, you think of like um, Bernadette, she was illiterate. You think of the three children, they were peasants. You think about the apparition in Cuba. It was a fisherman, like fisherman. Like it's always that way. It's so antithetical to the way the world operates. Like if you think about that, like, like that's how the reign of God will come onto the earth through the simple, the humble, and the meek. It's completely the opposite. And I've said this to my wife, when the Lord comes back, the world is turning upside down in a way that will be terrifying. It will be terrifying, like, because God doesn't roll like we do. Like, like, it's just not the way he moves. And if you look at how he has operated through time and through the people he's touched and how saints have moved humanity, it's not the way we would plan it. Even if you start from the beginning, Peter and Paul, I've used this example a million times. If I was hiring, I'm hiring Paul every time he had the resume. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was the Pope. Like, it's not the way we operate. And that's why I think we make the error in falling for the Antichrist, because we try to think like, like him, like, uh, and he's smarter than us, and he gets around us, and he, he goes through the cracks of our weaknesses. It's through humility, meekness, and weakness that the, the reign of Christ. I, your, your comments on it, because I think if you just look at the movements of God, that's the trend. Yes, from the very beginning, look at King David as an example of that, just this, this boy who is not a powerful leader, David versus Goliath. Uh, St. Bernadette didn't even know what the Immaculate Conception was, and that's how the church leaders could identify that this was, in fact, a true apparition. And so God, God loves the humble, and this is why Jesus told us that it would be harder for a rich person, right, to enter heaven than to enter through the, for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. So these, these worldly riches and successes and benefits and can be blessings, but often they serve to tie us to the world and to value the things of the world over the things of God. Um, in a book about St. Peter Claver that Sophia just published a couple months ago, he discusses an Anglican archdeacon that Peter Claver met at his time in Cartagena. And this archdeacon had all of the benefits that the Church of England had given him. He had the house, he had the family, he had the, the huge social circle, and he did philanthropic work. So he was, he was in a, a period of his life where he, he felt that he was doing the right thing and he had the veneer of, of charity, but he knew that the Catholic faith was the truth and that he was in the wrong church, but he was unwilling to make that leap because of all of these trappings that kept him in the world. And so finally, luckily at the end of his life, he actually repented of, of that schism of, of, and was received into the Catholic church by St. Peter Claver. So it's very difficult because these things can be good in and of themselves. And this is where the Antichrist will have the most sway over people is that he will be a philanthropist. He will be out there raising money for the poor and helping the refugees and doing all these things which are good in and of themselves, but for the fact that they lack 
the supernatural truths. We know that the corporal works of mercy are good, but the spiritual works of mercy are better. And corporal works can be done by atheists. They can be done by people of, of false religions. They mean nothing in and of themselves. They actually don't even merit grace for the soul unless you are committing them in a state of grace. So they're they're just something to lead people astray, to kind of check the box for charity work done. <laughs> and then you go on and and continue to commit sin and to be separated from the church. So uh, this, is, this is something I noticed even in Catholic schools is that everyone would go on their mission trip for the year, check the box, got my charity work done, filled the quota, and then continue to mortally sin and to, to espouse error. And so the Antichrist knows that it's a very convenient uh, psychological trap for us to fall into that if we feel that we are performing Christianity and we are receiving a claim for this, if you are celebrated for the world for your charity work, for example, you are less likely to look interiorly and figure out exactly how you are sinning and what the, the church teaches. So humility is something that, again, cannot be taught, really. It's, it's a grace given from God, and it's the antidote to all of this because the trappings of the world are not always so obvious. They're not just the hedonistic pleasures, but they're this this false almost Christianity, this this almost Catholicism that's characterized by the doctrine of humanism and of and of good works minus truth. And that is where even the good-minded and those who seek to do good might get tripped up with the Antichrist. Sure. Chris Van Uden joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Father Vincent Maselli's book, The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior, which is out from Sophia Institute Press. It's a reprint from 1981. It's fascinating. What? Uh, let, let's come up. Let's talk a little bit about a pretty interesting character that's that's uh, involved in all this. Okay, maybe you could give our audience, Kristen, an idea of how we watch out for this guy, the false prophet. Okay, um, we hear a lot about him. He gets thrown into the lake of fire with the Antichrist. We know that much. Okay, what's he all about? Who's who is this character? So there will be this bifurcated authority between the Antichrist and the false prophet, and we can assume that the false prophet will be covering the religious side of things, and he comes before the Antichrist, much as John the Baptist came before Jesus to precede him and to uh, call about his coming, and he lays the groundwork to trip up the spiritual, as, as we've just discussed. So the Antichrist perhaps will be more of a secular figure and will be a philanthropic leader and a charismatic politician, for example, but the false prophet lends him that legitimacy from within the church. And he he prepares the faithful to accept this false Christ on religious grounds. So this is where the subversion of the church comes into play because the false prophet will be trying to dismantle our sense of faith and our possession of the faith so that we are more likely to let in heresies and let in uh, small errors here and there so that when the Antichrist comes, we'll be primed to accept him as a religious leader. So he, he, he's a false prophet because he comes before and he may even perform these tricks, like we mentioned at the beginning, the, that even the magicians in Egypt in the Old Testament could perform these quote-unquote miracles, which are really just magic tricks used uh, using the power of the devil. So those who see the outward trappings of the 99% sounds good, full of philanthropy, oh, and he's also doing miracles? Great, we'll go with him. We'll, we'll fall for it, but when, when you see that the false prophet 
and just like false prophets ahead of him have again just been focused on this world and they have not been focused on leading anyone to christ people um this is why um, the conversion of the jews actually plays a role in the apocalypse because um we are told that one of the the forerunners something that has to happen a prerequisite so to speak of the apocalypse is that the temple will be rebuilt in jerusalem because the antichrist will actually want to reign there he will pretend to be the messiah so those who are still waiting for the messiah will fall will fall for that because they've, they've been preparing for his coming um but we know that towards the end of the world the on mass uh, the jewish people will convert to the true faith to catholicism and accept jesus as the savior so is the, that going to be because they 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 realize at some point who he is in other words is there is there a is there a period in there um where where there's a persecution of the jews also or something happens where they uh like you said on mass turn away from him and convert to the church is there a persecution involved there of the jews I'm not sure if there's a persecution involved, but it's definitely peeling away the blindness that has been introduced because unfortunately, Judaism today is very much in the line of the Pharisees. So two religions were founded when Christ came, the, the Catholic Church and the Pharisees who refused to accept Jesus as savior, even though it was very obvious to them. Because I often think, oh, maybe some people just didn't get it or it wasn't obvious, but the, the Pharisees knew because Jesus taught in the temple. And even in one mystery of the rosary, the finding in a temple, we see him as a child teaching these great learned men things from scripture that they had were amazed that he knew. And so it, it became very clear that he was the one who had been prophesied. But the Pharisees, through their pride, were unable to accept that. And they, they didn't like the message that he brought not as a warrior king. So they really, they founded this new this new judaism which is re rejecting um the its fulfillment and so at in the end times that um sort of spirit of rejection that the pharisees introduced will go away and it's like how, as saint paul writes to the hebrews often to to show them this is the fulfillment of your covenant this is what god promised to you specifically you are loved in this special way and um we we can as you say assume that that those um, arguments and examples will finally ring true. So. Okay. Oh, thanks. Thanks for clarifying that, Christopher Van Uden. Uh, Joe, we have a little bit of time left. Where do you want to go? I want to talk about attacks on the Eucharist. But before I do that, I, I, I just want to throw uh, a thought out to both of you and get your comments on it. Um, clearly, you know, uh, there is the spirit of the Antichrist in the world. I mean, clearly, you look around, there's some pretty bad things going on, and people in the church. Uh, are looking to combat that. In my view, to be most effective is one we talked about being humble, because Christ uses the humble, but he also uses the vulnerable. And I, I'm interested in your thoughts on it, because I think it's an effective tool against the spirit of the Antichrist. We're not willing to make ourselves vulnerable. As a church, we've become very wealthy. And Christ operates, at least in my experience, personal experience, when you put your neck a little bit out on the line, Christ appears in a powerful way. And we're not willing to do this in the culture as much as we should as Catholics. Now, I'm not saying jump into the middle of traffic, but what I am saying is to live by faith. 
Christ tells us this very clearly, but we don't believe him. Like we don't. We we use our own wiles and our own skills. Like, like when we trust God and make ourselves vulnerable, like Mary did when she said, let it be done to me, she could have been killed. She probably was thinking that. She's like, I'm finished, but I'll say yes, because I love you. We don't do that. And to you know, we all have a different call. Talk about the need as a church if we really want to make an impact in this world and fight the spirit of the Antichrist. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, like Mary was, like many saints, and we're not doing it. Kristen, let me throw in my two cents, and then I'm going to kick it over to you. I think this is why we have to look to the example of the saints. Um, one that immediately, if you see, as we're talking about sight in this conversation, right? Staying close to the sacrament so that we can see all these things that are, that, that are going to happen or are happening now. But when we know, we have knowledge of what the, what, what the greater good is, which is to constantly move closer to Christ and bring as many people with us as we can. We would be willing, Joe Rasinello, to let's say be vulnerable. So the saint I would think of, let's say far, you would say St. Damien Molokai, okay, of Molokai. There you go, right? great example. He knew he was gonna die. He knew he was going to get leprosy at some point. He didn't care because he saw the bigger picture. The bigger picture was the conversion of these people's souls and to comfort them in any way he can. So after several years of being there uh, in Hawaii, he winds up deformed by leprosy. But he knew it. He made himself vulnerable. He knew it, but he knew he was serving the Lord, and he went ahead and did it anyway. And that's what saints and martyrs really do. So that's what I would say along the lines of what you said, Joe Resinello, is look to the saints. Kristen, what say you? It's a great point. We have this fear that something bad will happen if you fully serve the Lord and fully, completely surrender your will to God. So we're like, oh, but what if? And we war game the future and think, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to X, Y, Z. And... St. Damien's a great example. Yes, the bad thing will happen, but it will be okay because you have got, you have achieved a greater good than what you would have had otherwise. Health is a good, but spiritual health is better. It is superlative and saving souls is the utmost superlative. So we, we have to pray for the strength to take these consequences of what happens and to become, as you said, Joe, vulnerable in a way that we let God take care of us rather than trying to preserve ourselves. And we're not reckless, of course, and we, we have responsibilities in our state of life. But when we're asked to apostatize or when we're asked to make compromise, we have to just stand strong in that moment. And I think the way this often manifests itself today is for fear of offending because we're fe we're fearful of offending others. And we think not only for our own benefit, like, oh, they, they'll stop talking to me, but also we're afraid that we'll drive people away if we speak the truth. And that's simply not true. And when you see people vacillating in this sphere where they, they preach the truth, but only to a degree, and someone asks them an honest question about the faith, and you give them a watered down version because you're afraid that they'll run away from the church. Um, the Met Gala, for example, in New York with these sacrilegious offensive images of, of 
um, using the church, the church's symbols in an offensive way towards the church, people were all too eager to give in and say, oh, well, at least it's bringing people along. We don't want to offend them by being upset about this. No, we have to stand strong and people are actually attracted to that. And people want that authenticity and that strength. And so when we're evangelizing, there is a fine line of not leading with um, an attitude that may drive people away, but also that that fear is misplaced because we, when we become, when we fully trust in God, we know that he gave us the truth for a reason and that all people are called to accept it. And so speak it anyway. Uh, St. Bernadette, to go back to her, said, I, my job is to inform, not convince. And some people will be blind to it, but we know that we put it in God's hands. We give them over to God and he'll do the rest. Quick comment, Kristen Van Uden joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe about the attacks on the Eucharist. How is this part, uh, how does that the, the attacks on the Eucharist play into this? We have about 45 seconds, maybe a minute. Yes, so that is the most obvious sign of the devil and the spirit of Antichrist active in the world. Father Michelli touches on the resurgence of literal Satanism, even in his day in the 1980s, and even worse today, you see the transgender movement, for example, actually using Baphomet as their signature. Mm -hmm. And the attacks on the Eucharist are part and parcel of that as the source and summit of our life. The devil will try to attack that source to attack Jesus and also to dismay the faithful and try to, you, you really can tell that things are ramping up when those physical attacks are happening, when it's not just subversion and seduction anymore, but flat out attack. Yeah, I know. I, I you know, it's funny, not funny. It's sad that, that the Satanists uh, sell consecrated hosts on eBay. Okay. Well, I thought it didn't mean anything. Why would it, you know, Hey, listen, we'll give you a bunch of these, right? You could, you could say that they were you could say that they were consecrated, but not really, right? No, you got to go break into a church to go and steal the Eucharist or, and by other means so that you could sell them on eBay because you know exactly what that consecrated host is. You know who that consecrated host is. And anyway, Kristen Van Uden, as always, it's sad to say that we're coming to our end of our conversation with you, however. But tell everybody the title of the book, where they could buy it. This book is called The Antichrist, The Final Campaign Against the Savior by Father Vincent Michelli, who was himself a New Yorker. So, and Italian. That's all the good ones are. Italian, exactly. <laughs> um, first printed in 1981, reprinted this year at Sophia, available at sophiainstitute.com. All right, Kristen Van Uden, a friend of the show, we are proud to say. Thank you, as always, for coming back on. We look forward to being on your podcast at some point and, and continuing our great conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all out there for joining The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.